the pews are almost full. Nothing pleases a pastor like packed pews, right? That's good. Um, Annette and I are home. We've been gone for a long time. I just met somebody up here, and they said, well, we've been coming for a month and a half, two months, and I'm like, that's about how long we've been gone. <laughs> so uh, we're glad to be home and uh, back in our family right here. Um, we were gone in, uh, we were in Iraq and doing our annual trip into Iraq, doing a retreat for Samaritan's Purse and their relief workers there. And thank you so much for your prayers. I know there was a lot of people praying uh, here from Community Church, and we're so appreciative. Uh, it was the best, I think, of, of the six years we've been doing this, it was the best one yet. So thank you so much. Um, Speaking of praying, let's pray together right now. Take uh, just a couple seconds on your own. Ask God to speak to you this morning and then pray for the people sitting around you and ask God to speak to them, will you? Father, we trust that you will speak to each of us. We need that. Lord, that's really why we're here, most of all, is to meet with you, to hear from you, to have you lead us, inspire us, instruct us. And Lord, that's, we're trusting you to do that today, for your spirit to reveal truth to us, prompt us, show us where we need to change, what you want to do in our lives. And we commit this time to you in the name of Jesus, amen. So if you were here last week, Jake spoke. Jake spoke about drinking deeply of the living water that Jesus offers. Annette and I were not here, but uh, I did listen online. So, you know, if you miss a Sunday, you can always just go to the church website, find the sermon, click on it, listen to it. It's a great way to catch up. So I enjoyed uh, Jake's sermon this week, uh, during the week. Um, and as I, as I listened to his sermon, I realized there are times that I, I am really thirsty. Uh, I'm, I'm thirsty for the living water that Jesus offers. And then there's times where I'm dry. I'm so dry, I don't even want to drink. I don't even want to go to the well. And as I pondered, I thought, I, I, I found what I discovered about myself as I listened to that sermon was... I find I am the most thirsty for Jesus and His living water when I am the most surrendered to Him. Somehow those things go hand in hand. When I put aside my agenda first, seek His will, ask Him to lead me, I find that drawing near is, is easier. It's Drinking deeply at the well is so much easier. But then there's times I don't even want to get close to the well. You know what? And, and those are the times that I, feel, I find I have my agenda first. Right then. I've got my agenda first. My desires first. My will um, is being exercised. And I'm not satisfied at all. Because I'm not drinking from His well. It's like a horse that hasn't been broken. Anybody here ever had to break a horse? I know there's a few people here that have. If a horse isn't broken yet, it has its own will. Right? It hasn't 
surrendered that will to a master yet. And when that happens, the horse goes where it wants, when it wants, and how fast it wants, right? But if it's broken and has a master, or it's been mastered, then it will go where the rider wants. And if the master really cares for the horse, not only does he direct its motion where it goes, but he also leads it to good pasture, right? To water, to shelter, everything that horse truly needs. Now, at first, the horse might put up a fight, right? Kind of like we do with God, until we surrender to His will. But when I surrender to His will, I find that my Master will lead me to everything I need. The deepest longings of my heart are satisfied in Him. It leads me to the living water. The key then becomes surrender, right? That's the key. If I'm surrendered, He can lead me to what I really need and what I really desire. Sometimes I think I know what I want or what I need. I don't have a clue. Right? I really don't. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 is our Scripture for the day. Uh, Let's read this together, shall we? Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. I think this was 30 some years, 31 years ago, was uh, one of, if not my very first memory verses. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Context. You always hear me talk about context. We've got to keep it in context, right? Can't just grab these two verses out and run with them. So, Years ago, Annette and I used to uh, be on a team with Campus Crusade for Christ, and we would study a passage of Scripture together or study a book of the Bible together. And there were times where we would grab uh, a Bible and do one of the one-year reading programs, read through the Bible in a year. But then there were times where we did what we called Book of the Month, Book of the Month Club, right? And take a book of the Bible, and you study that book for an entire month. And you just get deeper and deeper and deeper into that book and understand, it becomes a little richer. It's kind of like digging down and you start finding some nuggets, right? Um, Well, Book of the Month Club, you start usually by just reading over the book three, four, five times, depending on the size. Just chugging it. I call it chugging it. Chug the book till you get the whole picture. You get the overview, right? Um... The last thing you do in Book of the Month Club is look at a a commentary. So, you don't look at a commentary until the very end of the month, right? You are the commentator, right? You're into this book. So, you keep going through it maybe five times, right? And then the first thing you do is you, you come up with your theme for this book. And then you do your outline. You make an outline. Your own outline for a book of the Bible. And it's absolutely fascinating to do it. It takes a little more discipline. Um, sometimes I have it, sometimes I don't. But 
Um, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you my outline for the book of Romans, okay? Because that's where we're going to get the context for this passage. You ready for the SIV version, the Spencer International Version of Outline? It's really easy to remember. Our need, his deed, been freed, Gentiles believed, bent need, take heed, spirits lead, personal plead. Okay? <laughs> Those, that's, that's the book of Romans. Chapters 1 through 3, it's our need. Paul begins to expose our deep needs. And what he does by doing that, he's, he, he shows us the depravity of man and our own sin. Right? He shows us our need. Chapters 4 and 5, his deed. What Jesus did, what God did in response to our need. What did we need? We needed a Savior. Chapters 4 and 5 are about the perfect life, the sinless life of Jesus, the death, burial, and resurrection. Right? Chapter 6 through 8, been freed. Paul begins to unpack. After we come to, into a relationship with Jesus, the result is that we are freed from the power of sin and darkness in our lives in order to live in freedom with Christ and under the power of His Spirit. And then 9 through 11 is about uh, the Gentiles begin to believe, largely because the, the nation of Israel rejects the Messiah. They turn their back on the Messiah, opens the door for the Gentiles, we come into the family of God. Right? That takes us to chapter 12. Chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Which chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, have their whole, they have a whole Roman numeral in the outline for themselves. Bent need. And need is, right? Okay. Bent knees, bent need. Um, Romans 12, 1 and 2 is like the hinge in this entire book of Romans. Right? This is the, the, um, almost the pinnacle for Paul. 12, 1 and 2. And if you're here this morning, or you're listening on the radio today, and you know your need, you understand your need, your sin, which most of us do, right? Most of us should understand that we are sinners. Because if you're here this morning and you don't understand that, I've got some news for you. You're a sinner! Okay? We all are. Um, we sin. But if you understand that, you understand His deed, what He did for you, you understand the freedom and begin to live in the freedom, that is the mercy that Paul is describing in chapter 12, verse 1. In view of, Paul says, therefore, in view of this mercy, chapters 1 through 11 are this incredible mercy that God has poured out for us. How needy we really were, how He sent His Son on our behalf, right? To pave the way for us. How He's, he's given us His Holy Spirit to live in freedom. In view of all that mercy, what's our natural response? What should our natural response be? And then, and then Paul kind of hits you hard. Live at be a living sacrifice. 
In view, therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of all that mercy that has been shown to you, offer your body as a living sacrifice. What's the problem with a living sacrifice? Sacrifices usually die, don't they? This is an oxymoron, isn't it? How do you be a living sacrifice? Living ones can get up and walk off the altar when they want, right? Living sacrifices must be a willing participant in this process. Because it's an ongoing action, isn't it? Live this way for the rest of your life is what Paul is saying. To offer yourself for the rest of your life as a sacrifice. If it's living, you've got to do it daily for the rest of your life. This then becomes the key. If we want to drink deeply, we've got to surrender. If we want to draw near, we've got to surrender. How do you surrender? You become a living sacrifice. What the heck does that look like? I mean, what does that look like today? 2018, Guns, Colorado. What does it look like for you to be a living sacrifice every day? To help us better understand that, we're going to look at a couple other passages Paul, Paul uh, unpacks in different places. But, you know, his most common, Paul's most common um, phrase that des- for, to describe himself comes at the beginning of most of his letters. Paul wrote about 11 or 12 books of our New Testament, or letters, right? And in them, he addresses a church usually, and then says, Paul, a slave or servant of Christ. He describes himself as a slave or a bond servant of Christ. Paul takes this, the the word there is doulos. It's a Greek word, and he it means bondservant or slave. That's the way it's translated into English. But he takes that idea from the Old Testament, which Paul was very familiar with, right? He takes this idea of servant, slave from the Old Testament, and I'm just stay with me. You don't have to look up these verses. I'll look them up for you. Okay? I'll do the hard work. I'll do the heavy lifting. I got to do a sit and listen. Okay? So in Exodus chapter 21, This idea of a bondservant is introduced through Moses. And in the slavery, or to have a servant or servants in Hebrew culture, of course, many cultures, was common, right? And if you had a servant that served you faithfully for six years, on the seventh year you are instructed to let them go free. To give them their freedom. Some slaves, though, determine, my master is so good, I don't want to go. I don't want to go anywhere else. Picking it up in verse 5, Exodus 21. But if the servant declares, I love my master, then his master I I love my master and do not want to go free. Then his master must take him before the judges. He shall take him to the door or the doorposts and pierce his ear with an awl. Then he will be his servant for life. 
in Deuteronomy chapter 15, we're told the similar thing about freeing the slaves in the seventh year. But if the servant says to you, I don't want to leave you because he loves you and is well off with you, then take an awl and push it through his earlobe into the door and he will become your servant for life. That's where this idea of bond servant comes from. That my master is so awesome. He's so good to me. Why would I leave? Why would I go anywhere else? I don't want to. I want to be yours forever, for life. Punch my ear. Okay? That's what Paul is describing. Be a slave of Christ. That's what it helps us understand this idea of surrender. To be a living sacrifice. I'm yours. I'm yours. I don't want to go anywhere else. I'm yours for life. Mark me as yours. Um, not long ago, my daughter Kate, or our daughter Kate, um, wanted to get a tattoo. Now, in my generation, there's not that many of us. I mean, there are people, but there's, it's not really common for my generation for folks to have tattoos. Uh, some people do. Some of them, I think, are really, really, you know, appealing. There's probably others in places I don't, I've never seen, should never see. But for my generation, it's just not that common, okay? But there are generations, especially younger generations today, that tattoos are it, man. You get tatted up, right? Get a sleeve tattoo, whatever. And so I understand there's a difference in, you know, generations, right? Um, but our daughter came to us last uh, Good Friday. And she'd been talking about it for a while. She said, and by the way, I asked her permission to share this story, even though she's not here. And so she said, I, I want to get a tattoo. And Annette and I are like, let's talk about it, you know. She was still a minor at that time, so she had to have our consent anyway, unless you're at a really shady tattoo parlor where they don't care. So I said, tell us about it. What do you want? Why? Where's it going to be? Um, so we were in Denver at the time. It was Good Friday. Um, and she said, well, I want to get a tattoo today or tonight because it's Good Friday. I said, okay, I'm listening. She said, I, I want a cross. And I want to have it done on Good Friday. I'm like, that, that's pretty legitimate. Okay, where would it be? And she said, well, I want it. I'll be careful how I do this. But on the inside of my ring finger, I said, there's a picture of her with her tat artist. And I said, well, okay, why there? And she said, well, someday if I get married and a man slides a ring on that finger, it will be a reminder to him and to me that my first love is Jesus. And I'm like, all right, let's go. Come on. I'll pay for it. I don't even care. So I changed my attitude on tattoos real quick with her. But we were staying at my sister's house, and my two nieces are there too. And they're like, that's a great idea, Katie. And I'm like, do you girls want one too? And they're like, yeah. 
I'm like, take with your mom. Yeah. All right, let's go. Uncle Spence is buying tattoos for everybody. So there's one of my with her. She got it. Hers is right there. And that's a picture with her tattoo artist. Um, it was a really fun evening. Um, and one of the coolest things was all three of the girls telling their tattoo artists why they're getting a cross and where they're getting it. And, and it's Good Friday. And uh, it turned out to be really cool. But anyway, all that to say that um, a few months later, Katie, Katie texts us from, she was in Albania on a mission trip. And she said, uh, I want to get uh, a tattoo. Her bunch of us are thinking about getting a tattoo. Just my first thought is Albania. How clean are the needles there? Um, but I said, okay, let, you know, let's text back and forth about this a bit. But then uh, I realized then I, I, I just texted her back and I said, Kate, just ask the owner first. And she knew what I meant. It's not your body. It doesn't belong to you. Ask the owner. It's not ours, is it? That body doesn't belong to you. If you're sitting here this morning and you know Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, it's not yours. That life isn't yours, right? Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah understood this well. Jeremiah chapter 10, his prayer is, O Lord, I know, O Lord, that a man's life is not his own. That's surrender, isn't it? That's a living sacrifice. Paul carries this idea further in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 19 and 20. I think we got it there. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. It doesn't belong to us. He bought us. He bought us. The currency was blood. And we can now be marked. Because he's such a good master and say, I don't want to go anywhere else. I want to be yours for life. Doesn't that help you understand what it means to be a living sacrifice? Surrendering every day. That's how we surrender. Paul continues in verse 12, or in verse 2 of chapter 12 in Romans, um, and says, Do not conform then. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, which is holy and pleasing to God. This is your natural response. This is how you should worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. What does that mean? Well, there are many values, isn't there? Values and ideals that are held by this world and culture and society that are not shared by the Word of God. Some of them, in fact, stand in direct opposition to the Word of God, don't they? When I first became a Christian, I found out uh, really that I had a whole new set of problems. <laughs> you know, I understood that I'd been saved and what Jesus had done for me. But then as I started to read the Word of God more, I realized, oh my gosh, God's got something to say about how I spend my time. God's got something to say about how 
I spend my money. God's got something to say about who I hang out with and what I do and what's the purpose of my life now and the entire direction I'm going in. Oh my gosh, I got a whole new set of problems, right? Good ones. But one of the things, because I'd come out of, I was 23 years old when I came to Christ because I'd come from a background of, of partying and I mean, I was a fairly happy pagan until that point. Um, but a lot of the, my buddies that I hung out with, I realized I, I just couldn't hang out with them anymore because it just led to partying, you know. Um, pretty quickly, I, I realized that that culture was in conflict with following Christ. It was going to be hard to do them both, right? I couldn't do them both. I'm not going to party anymore. I'm not going to listen to the dirty joke anymore. I'm going to try not to cuss or cuss just to fit in with some guys. There was all kinds of things going through my world at that point. I'm not going to be shaped by this culture and, and, and have it force me into a mold. I'm not going to live the way I did. It requires swimming upstream, doesn't it? One of Kate's teachers came to us graduation here uh, a month ago and, and just said, your, your daughter swam upstream for four years in high school. And we knew what she meant. She didn't conform. I was so proud of her. It's been a witness to me. There are other values that are even being pushed upon us. Um, and we will have to choose between following those values or following Christ. Because you can't do both. Things like abortion in our society today. You know what? Um, this culture will continue to push for allowing it and making it legal and acceptable. Right? That stands in direct opposition to the Word of God. You've got to choose. Will you follow this pattern of the world is going down or will you stand under this and keep this as your authority? Homosexuality is another one. Now certainly as the body of Christ, we must love people. That's never in question. Love people, accept them, point them to God. Show them the love of God. But we do that as we hold to what we know to be true in the Word of God. Right? We can love people, but don't have to be molded by the world and the path they're following. Rick Warren Many of you know him, pastor at Saddleback Church in California, who writes, Our culture has accepted two huge lies. The first is that if you disagree with someone's lifestyle, you must fear or hate them. That's not true. But that's what the world wants us to think. Huh, you don't agree with me? You don't. It doesn't mean you fear them. It doesn't mean you hate them. The second is that to love someone means you agree with everything they believe or do. That's hogwash too, isn't it? Right? That's a nonsense. We can be compassionate without conforming. Can't we? We can. Don't conform, Paul says. Don't do this. Do this. Be transformed. Be transformed. Does anybody remember the Transformer toys? 
I know there's movies now about Transformers, but like, I don't remember how many years ago, it was 20 years ago when the first Transformer toys came out. And I think it was my nephew, maybe a friend of ours, I can't remember, that had a Transformer toy. And it was a robot car. You know, it started as a robot, and then he twisted it a few times and did this and folded this in, and it was a car. It was the perfect little boy gift, right? You know, robot. Car. Two things a little boy likes, right? The point is, it was one thing, and then it totally changed and became something totally different, right? Be transformed. Be changed. That's what Paul is saying. Let Christ change you from the inside out so that you no longer look and act the way you did. Right? Goodbye, old Spencer. Hopefully. Hello, new Spencer. Christ-filled Spencer. You are not who you were. Every so often in our house, um, Annette or one of our kids will say, Oh my gosh, that sounded just like your dad. Something I did. You know, something I said, something I did. You know, and they're like, oh. or my kids call him G-Paw and me Pop. And they're like, Pop, that's just like G-Paw. Which it's natural, right? The older I get, the more I say things, look, act like my dad, who's back there in the back row. Um... The same is true with our Heavenly Father, right? Once you're adopted into His family, the more time you spend with your Heavenly Father, the more you begin to look and act like a father. We allow Him to transform us, to be transformed. And Paul says the primary way that happens is by spending time with Him, letting your mind be renewed. How do you renew your mind? You soak it. You marinate it in the Word of God. There's no substitute for this, for time in the Word of God. Time in the Word changes my thinking. Changes the way I think about God, about me, about how I live, about how I spend my time, how I view people, what my priority I, priorities are. In short, it makes me aware of God's will. Right? How I need to surrender. What His plan is. When I do that, I, I find that I start drinking deeply. I really start drinking deeply at His well. I find I'm being satisfied by God. I find that that's when I'm really abiding in Him. And then I start reading, what's true about me is, is what I read in Scripture. Right? The stuff like, all things are possible. Because I've got to be honest, there's times I don't feel like everything's possible. But I read that in Scripture, and when I'm drinking deeply and I'm surrendered to Him, I go, yeah, it is. I believe that. All things are possible. I have joy and peace. How many times do I go through life without those? Surrender is the key. I have joy and peace when I'm surrendered to Him. I experience the abundant life that we talk about. There is no abundant life without surrender. You know it? I discover the secret of being content in every situation. That's what Paul wrote. Man, you cannot be content in every situation. 
unless you're surrendered. You know that? I'm never lacking in zeal, as Paul wrote. I have my spiritual fervor. Not unless you're surrendered. But if you're surrendered, if you're surrendered to Him and you're offering yourself as a living sacrifice, that's possible. It's not only possible, it's probable. Right? That's the life. It starts with being a living sacrifice. And then I choose not to be conformed and go the way this world is going. And then I choose to be transformed and just keep soaking my, my brain in the Word of God and being with people who want to do the same. That's a life that God can use greatly. That's, that's a life where God can use to impact a community, right? And impact the world. Dwight Moody once said, The world has yet to see what God will do through one man who is fully consecrated to him. That's what we should be striving for. That's the sweet surrender. The life of sweet surrender. Can you guess what our closing hymn is? Yeah, let's stand together and uh, sing, I Surrender All. Stay standing, if you will, for the benediction. 
Uh, after the service, there will be folks up here to pray. If you want to come up and you want prayer for something, there will be somebody up here to pray with you. I'll be up here as well. So thank you for being here today. And now for your benediction, maybe one like you've never heard before, but let's go out there and die. Die to ourselves and be living sacrifices. Amen.